comes louder. He's one on one with Hemsley, and Hemsley blocks it. Mitchell spins on Childs and one. Cal up top. Shepard. Shepard was asking for it for three. And he popped it deep. He was banging. Well, Watson and a foul. This is a clinic. This is Aztec basketball. What's good, Aztec fans? Welcome to another episode of the Aztec Breakdown Podcast. My name is Trone, and I'll be your host. Today, I'm not joined by anybody. I thought I would just do a like a third of the season review type of episode. Before I start, I want to do the reminder to follow the podcast wherever you may be listening. Follow, subscribe, whatever the terminology is. Uh, go to anchor.fm slash Aztec Breakdown. And from there, you can see all the places where you can find the podcast, which is most of the big places where podcasting happens, as well as you can send in uh, donations to the podcast and you can send in the voice messages, which I really like getting. So make sure you do that. Also, be sure to follow on YouTube, Twitter, all the good stuff. With that out of the way, our Aztecs are 10-0 and in a season that, not counting the conference tournament, is uh, 28 games, 29 if you include the, the Division II opponent that's coming up here in 10 days. So, I mean, I, you can't really give them a better grade. They're undefeated through 10 games, which is awesome. I if, if someone had told me or had asked me before the season if I thought this was a realistic expectation to be 10 and 0 at this point, I I would have said no. And I do when I'm when I'm preparing my stuff, you know, I have my optimistic expectations that I want as a fan, and then I have to try to temper those a little bit to make it a little more realistic and make sure my optimism bias isn't getting in too much, and those tempered expectations are normally what I will share with people. Even my optimistic expectations, though, wouldn't have been 10 and 0 at this point. It probably would have been like 9 and 1 at this point. Uh, but that seemed, you know, too much to be asking for a team with all these new players that need to learn how to gel and all that stuff. So I thought, you know, 9 and 1 was a bit too optimistic. And yet here they are, 10 and 0. It's a good time to be an Aztec fan. I did ask before I started recording, I asked for either voice messages or just a reply on Twitter if anybody had any questions, and I did get one, so I want to dive into it real quick. The question is from uh, Ansirk. I'm hoping I'm saying that right, on Twitter. It says, should we start Matt Mitchell now and put KJ on the bench just to see if that works differently for the beginning of games? plus any news on Aztec football recruits. I'm going to start with the football part. I don't really follow football recruiting. It's just, for me, it's too much. Basketball recruiting in and of itself is a little bit too much for me because there's just so many names you have to follow and so much stuff. And, you know, I don't have any connections. I don't have anything like that. And so there just isn't much point for me to do it. That's why I'm really appreciative of Mike over at, at uh, Aztec Hoops Nation and as well as Tyler Purchase who does who does work out there. And I, I never give him shout outs, but I, 
I probably should more often. Uh, they only do the basketball side though. As far as football, I did, you know, I just went on to 247sports.com and I looked up the recruiting class and I was sad to see there's only three names on the committed list so far. That's not looking great. I don't know when the football signing period is or anything. Football is a sport that I like, and it was actually my first sport growing up that I liked to, you know, whether it was play or watch or whatever. As I've gotten older, though, I've, I've definitely fallen more for basketball. And really the thing was once the Chargers left, uh, I just I couldn't follow football as much anymore. So I still watch the Aztecs play football, obviously. I'm happy that they got nine wins and they're going to a bowl game. It's the New Mexico Bowl. And I'm hopeful that, you know, they get their 10th win. But in terms of recruiting, it's hard enough to follow basketball recruiting, let alone football recruiting. Hopefully they get some more guys. I mean, they have to get some more guys at some point. I just don't know when. I don't know who it would be. I don't know what their projections are for any of that stuff. With that out of the way, starting Matt Mitchell, that has to be a topic that will come up more and more. And I'm sure a lot of people are thinking it. It's been something that I've been thinking about. I don't think it will happen. So I want to start with that. Regardless of whether it should happen or not, I don't think it will happen. And the reason is because KJ Fagan transferred here, likely largely in, in due to a promise of playing time, right? It wasn't just uh, Coach Dutcher saying, come here and we'll win. It was come here, we'll win, and you'll be the starting point guard. So for Dutch to go back on that now, I mean, he could. It's not like KJ is going to transfer again, but I don't think he will. So I think KJ will be in the starting lineup. So you're not replacing KJ with Matt. So the only other players you could replace, you you can't replace Nathan with Matt. I mean, I, I guess you could slide everybody down, but I don't think that's a good look. You're not going to swap Matt for Yanni because Yanni has been great in his own right. You're not going to swap, swap Matt for Jordan Shackle because even though Matt Mitchell's game is more well-rounded, I would say. I think the value Jordan Shackle brings with his with his shooting is just, it's phenomenal. And you're obviously not going to swap Matt Mitchell with Malachi Flynn, who I haven't run the updated numbers yet, but if you guys saw my uh, article on the Mountain West Wire website, which I'm now trying to be a writer for, uh, Malachi Flynn by the numbers has been the best player in the mountain West so far. So even though Matt Mitchell has been great, it's, it would be a downgrade there. I do think in addition to that, whether it should happen, it's tough to say. Generally you want your starting lineup to be the best combination of five guys on the floor. That's not the same thing as the best five guys on the floor though. It's the best combination. So they need to feed off of each other the best. And the reason you want that with your starting lineup is the starters play more time together than any other lineup. The starting lineup will get about three times as many possessions on the floor together 
as will any other lineup. So if your second most used lineup has 100 possessions together, your starting lineup is going to have 300 possessions together. And so to win games, you want your starting lineup to be your best lineup, just in terms of, of a data point of view and in terms of with more opportunities, we'll score more points and we'll give up type of thing. I think this lineup could already be that. And it's tough with KJ struggling the way he is, but I'm going to get into that a little bit later after the break. There is also value with having a guy like Matt Mitchell come off the bench because he's so well-rounded, he can fit a number of different roles and he's not going to be the best at any of them. You're not going to ask him to come in and start facilitating at Malachi Flynn's level, but he can do a little bit of facilitation. We saw during the San Jose state game, there was a pretty key play where uh, Matt Mitchell came off of a pick and roll from Yanni Wetzel and hit Yanni and Yanni hit the shot. And that was an extra two points. And in a game that was that close, every point matters. So Matt can do a little bit of facilitation. He can do some shooting. He can create for himself. He can play solid defense. He's not as good as Malachi at facilitating. He's not as good as Jordan Shackle is at uh, shooting. He's not as good as Yanni is down low in the post. He's not as good of a defender as Nathan Mensah. But he's really good at all of these things that all these guys provide. And I think there is value to that coming off of the bench. So for right now, I if I was the coach, I think I would probably just keep Matt Mitchell on the bench for right now. Plus, you're 10-0. and And granted, the game at San Jose State was not pretty. But you're 10-0. and And there's something to be said about if it's not broken, don't break it. So there's that as well. That was the only question I got. I have a couple other thoughts here before we go to the break. I wanted to talk about the San Jose State game. In terms of the game, it was ugly, obviously. I think we learned a little bit about this team, though. And in terms of why it was ugly, some some different things have been thrown around. And I think they're all valid to a certain extent. One thing was that shots just weren't falling. And we saw that KJ Fagan had a couple wide open three pointers that just didn't go in. He also had some layups that might not, they weren't wide open, but they're shots that he should make. He's skilled enough to make it. And there might've been a little bit of a contest, but not to the point that he shouldn't miss as many shots as he did miss. And they weren't falling. We also saw Yanni miss a chip shot down low towards the end of the game. We saw Nathan Mensah miss a putback down low that was it was uncontested, and he probably could have dunked it, and he didn't. He tried to just tap it in, and it hit off the back of the rim and popped back out, and San Jose State got it. So a lot of shots just weren't falling, and that's going to happen. And that's why defense is so important. That's why guys like Steve Fisher build their teams around defense is because your defense you can carry with you everywhere your offense, no matter how good you are, there's going to be nights where the shots just don't fall and there isn't really a reason for it. It just happens. I think that was part of it with San Jose State. 
Another thing that's been going around has been that it was a trap game. And I think that might be partially true. I hesitate to say trap game just because, at least in my understanding, a trap game is normally a game against a lower opponent. So check. That is followed shortly afterwards by a game against a high-level opponent. That wasn't the case. The Aztecs aren't going to play for 10 games or 10 days after San Jose State. I think nine days from the time I'm recording this, probably eight from the time you're listening or, or less. But so there's plenty of time to prepare for the next game. And on top of that, the next game is a Division II opponent. And so as bad as San Jose State has been throughout their Mountain West history, they're still, they should be respected more than a Division II opponent. And so in terms of being followed up by another high-level opponent, that's not the case either. You know, the next high-level opponent is Utah, and that was two games after San Jose State and like two weeks after San Jose State. So there's plenty of time to get ready for it and do everything you need to do. It could definitely be that the Aztecs players came in and maybe not thought they were just going to run over San Jose State. You know, that was something Dutch talked about in his post-game conference, that they didn't come in thinking that and that they had been practicing hard, but maybe a little bit of that slipped in and and they just kind of thought it was in the bag more than they should have. It's hard to to get rid of those types of thoughts. And so maybe that was part of it as well. It's hard to say. I think the main thing though, to me, and this is, it's a little early to say it's a pattern because I've only noticed it in two games so far. But to me, I think the main thing was San Jose State is a very athletic and a very long team. And I think that gave the Aztecs troubles because the Aztecs, despite their history this year, they aren't the longest team. They have some some long positions. Nathan Mensa is really long. Agueca Rope is very long for his size. But in general, they aren't the longest team. They aren't the tallest team. They aren't as athletic as they have been in the past. And that's not a knock on any of the players. They're all still amazingly athletic, of course. But guys like Malachi Flynn does what he does more based off of skill than athleticism. He shoots very well. He handles the ball very well as opposed to just being able to blow by guys. And so I think the athleticism and the length disrupted the Aztecs a little bit and made it hard to hit shots and made it hard to even just drive into the lane. You know, it was hard for Malachi Flynn lost the handle a lot of times and they just couldn't get by guys. Malachi, he doesn't really ever blow by guys, but he'll get even with them. And when you're driving to the hoop as an offensive player, if you're even with the defender, you have the advantage. And Malachi Flynn is really good at getting even with his guy and then being able to hit a shot over him or around him or whatever it may be, stopping, pulling up, whatever it may be. Malachi couldn't do that against the San Jose State team that runs out a lot of two guards that are 6'5", 6'6"-ish. And so I think the length, not just in Malachi's case, but in a lot of the guys' cases, I think the length and the athleticism bothered them a little bit. 
and it reminded me a little bit of the Tennessee State game. And granted, the Aztecs beat Tennessee State by 13, but just the way it it looked reminded me of the Tennessee State game. Tennessee State is probably one of the longer teams the Aztecs have played so far. And just in terms of, you know, struggling to score, the Aztecs scored 62 points against Tennessee State, and they scored 59 yesterday against San Jose State. And those are the two lowest offensive production in terms of just points over the course of the game. All the other ones have been pretty much well above, or never mind, forget that, not all of them, but those are still the two lowest. And so I'm wondering as we get deeper into the season, if that is a trend that will continue. And if it does, it makes me really worried about Utah State because Utah State is a very long team this year. And so you still hope they can beat Utah State at home, obviously. On the road will be tough. Ideally, you beat them on the road too, obviously. But you hope that they can they can beat them at home. I, I'm looking it up at Ken Palm right now. Utah State has the 24th greatest average height in, in all of college basketball right now. I think San Jose State was like six. I'll pull it up real quick. The Aztecs are right in the middle. They're at like 140. So not great average height. San Jose State is at, oh, 10. So I was close. San Jose State's at 10. Utah State was, I already forgot it. What a dingus. 24th. So those are some real long, real tall teams. I think that might be the weakness of this year's Aztec team is dealing with that length and that height. And the athleticism. It remains to be seen. Two games isn't enough for a pattern. But that's my thoughts on that. And I guess we can we can hope that I'm wrong. If anybody else has any thoughts about that, like I said earlier, send in those voice messages. Uh, send anything. If you want me to read it on the podcast, you want to send it in through Twitter, through a DM or a reply, whatever it may be, you can do that as well. And let me know. With that, let's take a short break, and I'll talk about the season so far more overall once we come back. Welcome back. Like I said, we'll talk about just the season overall. And I kind of want to get into each player and dive into what we've seen from them and maybe a little bit of what we can expect from them based off of what I've seen. Some of this is just from watching the games live. A couple of the players I've watched more specifically when I've been looking at the tape. And so let's get into it. Let's just dive in. Starting point guard, KJ Fagan. Against San Jose State specifically, had an awful, awful shooting game. And... Overall, I think, hasn't lived up to expectations. Whether those expectations, a lot of people thought he was going to come in and score a lot because he averaged 17.5 points in his last full season at Santa Clara. I thought his scoring would take a downturn, but that he would be the primary facilitator because he looked to be really good at facilitating on tape at Santa Clara and just didn't have the teammates around him 
to really finish those shots. So I thought that would be where he would shine, and he hasn't quite done that yet either. When I when I was looking at tape, though, I specifically looked at the Las Vegas Invitational games again. And in both those games, when I would pay attention to KJ Fagan, I liked what I saw. You know, I liked his decision making. I liked the reads he was making. I liked the shots he was taking. There were a couple things that live I thought were really bad decisions. And then when I looked at it on the tape, uh, it wasn't a bad offensive decision. It was fine. And just the defense made a better play on it and it led to a turnover. So it kind of soothed those fears that I had had about him. I think with KJ, it's just a matter of, of he needs to keep practicing and keep on playing. And once he gets that touchback on his shot, it'll open up everything. And I have no way to predict when that might happen or even if it will happen. But on the tape, like I said, he's just, the things he's been doing have been the right things for the most part. Everybody makes mistakes, but for the most part, I've really liked what I've seen. It just hasn't had the results that we would have expected. And I'm sure that he would have expected. And so that's the thoughts on, on KJ. Once his shot starts falling, we'll all forget about the beginning of this season. So hopefully that happens sooner rather than later. But there's that. Moving on to Malachi Flynn. I mentioned earlier that in that article I did for the Mountain West Wire, he's been the best player, analytically speaking at least, throughout the Mountain West. If somebody wanted to mention somebody like Sam Merrill over Malachi Flynn, I wouldn't have like a hard objection to it. I can see it, but Malachi Flynn has been great. And whether it's been through his scoring or his passing or when neither of those are working, but he comes at the end and it's a clutch shot like he did against San Jose state. He's been great. He's been, he's been absolutely great. I screamed so loud once he hit that shot against San Jose state at the very end of the game. And my neighbor was actually legit worried about me. It's kind of funny to think about it now, but that was a thing. And so he's been, the fulcrum for this team. His defense has been better than I thought it would be. And some of that is just through getting steals and defending in isolation and stuff. And he will still get blown by. He's not going to be a defensive standout, but it's been better than I thought it would be. And actually going back to KJ, his defense has been way better than I thought it would be. He's one of the leaders in defensive points over expectation for the whole conference. And that's I don't think that's going to hold up necessarily, but he started at a great spot. And even with it going down some, it'll still be good. And so KJ has really impressed me. Malachi's really impressed me both on the defensive end. That was one of the things, if I had to pick the one weak point for this team, that would have been what it was in the preseason. And they've both surpassed my expectations. So that has been awesome. Moving on to Jordan Shackle, he has been crazy, crazy good. You can tell all the work he puts in over the offseason. And he's shooting lights out. His defense has been, has been good enough. 
He's added on top of his shooting. He had it a tiny bit last year, but this year he's been much more comfortable driving into the paint. And sorry about that. He's been much more comfortable driving into the paint and finishing in close, which has been awesome because now it lets him attack closeouts and it just gives the defenders one more thing to think about. So that's really cool. We can move on to Yanni Wetzel, who has been way better than I thought he was going to be. That's for sure. He's been a delight to watch down in the post, watching him fake guys out and get them to try and, you know, get, get them to jump off their feet, not jump off their feet, jump off the ground. And then he spins the other way and hits a layup on the other side. It's been a real treat to watch and it's some real throwback type stuff. I thought he would be used more as like a pick and pop type of guy coming into the season and he hasn't been and that's fine because he's been killing it down low and really offensively and defensively. He's been really good and I feel really bad because at one point over the off season, I had a list of like six guys that had ties to the Aztecs in terms of, of recruiting. And two of them were high school recruits and four of them were college transfers. And Yanni was the very last guy on that list. And I don't remember everybody who was on that list. I remember it was the younger McDaniels brother and it was Boogie Ellis were the top two. And then the transfers one was like Jamaral Baker, who's playing really well at Arizona to his credit. And the Aztecs could have had Yanni and Jamaral. So it's not saying one or the other, but he's playing really well at Arizona. One was a transfer from Cal. I don't remember where he went, but I think he has to sit out this year anyways. So it's not a big deal, but Yanni has been a treat to watch. And the, the only sad part about him, as far as I'm concerned, is that we only get one year of him. That's, that's going to be sad having, having this, what's shaping up to be a great season. And then Yanni has to leave. Hopefully we can get somebody else to go in and, and fill those shoes next year, whether that's another transfer, whether that's an incoming freshman, because the recruiting class has, has one more spot left that they can get, whatever the case may be. He's been a treat to watch. Nathan Mensa, I talked about him a little bit in the last podcast, and I was really happy with what I saw against San Jose State. My vote would have been for Nathan Mensa to be the player of the game, and I fully understand if somebody said Matt Mitchell should be the player of the game because he had some clutch shots. I understand if they thought Malachi Flynn should be the player of the game because he hit the clutch three at the end. The shot that mattered most, he was able to hit it. So I get it. I get those takes. My vote would have been for Nathan Mensa strictly because it was a defensive battle. And especially towards the end of the game, Nathan Mensa had a lot of really good defensive plays and some blocks and some rebounds and things like that that helped either keep the Aztecs lead or you know, just make it hard for San Jose State to, to run anything on offense. And just the the way the momentum shifted when he would do something well. And I mean, I guess it didn't shift all the way 
because San Jose State was able to take the lead. But I was just really impressed with those defensive plays. And that's the type of thing that I was expecting from him for this year. And so it's been it's been a treat to watch him. Really, everything's really positive pretty much for the most part, which I guess happens when you're a 10-0 and team. We talked about KJ not living up to expectations, but other than that, it's been real positive so far. We got Matt Mitchell. Matt Mitchell has been great, and you can tell that he's lost a good amount of weight. I think on the last broadcast they said 28 pounds he's lost, and he was at 260 last year, so that puts him at, what, 232? which is really good. I think an ideal weight for him would probably be the 225 to 230 range. And that's based off of guys like uh, Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan were about 6'6", 220, 225-ish. And so I think Matt Mitchell, 6'6", it seems like a pretty decent playing weight. He's not the same player, but just height-to-weight ratio – that seems about right. And that way he's still pretty strong, but he's more athletic. He's more quick. He's faster, things like that. And you can see that he's already doing that. I I can't think of anything specifically skill wise that he's done this year that I didn't think he was capable of doing last year. So in terms of ball handling or making reads or passes or anything like that, but he's just able to be more consistent so far through the 10 games. And I think a lot of that has to do with the weight coming off and he doesn't get tired as easily. Possibly he's able to just be quicker. That that's, that's where it is, especially is, is the quickness and the agility allowing him to do things because he's carrying less weight. And so props to him, he's put in the work and it shows he definitely deserves a starting spot on the roster and it's just the team is super deep. And so he doesn't have one, but having a six man like that can be really good. I I mean, you look at the San Antonio Spurs with Manu Ginobili and he's not the same type of player as Matt Mitchell. I'm not saying that, but having a really skilled guy who can come off the bench and play some really good minutes can be really important. One guy I really wanted to dive into was Trey Pulliam. And I mentioned on the last episode that I would try and get into the tape and see how he was doing. And some of the notes I took were that his defense has been solid. It it might not stand out a whole lot, but it's been good enough. And that can help him stay on the floor and continue to get minutes even when his offense is struggling while he while he figures some things out. Like I said earlier, the games I looked at were the ones that were in Vegas specifically. And in Vegas, I thought he showed some really poor decision making. And... I've been saying over the offseason that I thought Trey Pulliam was a little bit more of a slashing scorer type of guy. You know, he wants to get in to the teeth of the defense and get a shot off kind of close to the rim or maybe a floater. And a lot of people have been saying he's more of a passer. And we, I mean, we could use another passer. Don't, don't get me wrong. But when I was looking at the Vegas tape, 
I saw Trey Pulliam miss a lot of passes that should have been made. I saw he would get the ball up at the top of the key, and this happened, I think, two or three different times. He would get the ball up at the top of the key, and he would look off to the wing. And Adam Seiko's over at the wing, completely wide open. He would look off to the wing as a way of looking off the defender to open up the driving lanes that he could attack. So he knew the whole time when he caught that ball, he was going to attack. He would look over at Adam Seiko to look off the defender. Adam Seiko's wide open, and then he would just drive into the middle of the defense. And one time he ended up taking a couple dribbles and then jumping up in the air and turning around and throwing the ball to Adam Seiko just a couple seconds later. And Seiko hit the shot to his credit, but it would have been an easier shot had Trey just thrown it in the first place. There were a couple other times where he would look off, he would, he would look over at Adam Seiko to try and look off the defender and then he would attack and he would try to do one of his floaters or he would just dribble into traffic and turn the ball over. It wasn't, it wasn't very pretty. And so those types of poor decisions I didn't like. I also didn't like how often he takes the floater shot because he does it a lot. It's, it's probably, I don't have it charted, but it's probably been 70 or 80% of his shots so far. And the reason I don't like it is, in general, it's a really inefficient shot. And I talked about that in the last podcast episode. And on top of that, one of his, or so I've heard at least, one of his best attributes is his free throw shooting. He's a really good free throw shooter. You're not going to draw fouls when you're shooting floaters, though. It's not going to work. And that's why Trey has only shot one free throw all season. We're 10 games in and he shot one free throw as, as a point guard. That's that's not enough. That got that has to be fixed. So in terms of shot selection, I wasn't really about that either. Now, to his credit, against San Jose State, I haven't looked at the tape, but just watching live, I thought he looked better. I thought his decision making was better. It wasn't anything super flashy. It wasn't anything that led to an assist or or baskets really, except for the one the pull-up jumper he had about the elbow area. I liked that he did a pull-up instead of a floater at the very least because a pull-up is a slightly more efficient shot in general. But just there were there were just little things that he did that made me think he was, you know, he's hopefully starting to kind of get his feel for for the division 1 level and start to be able to make his impact felt. There's definitely been a calling for Adam Seiko to get more minutes and to take him from Trey Pulliam. And I think it's absolutely fair because Seiko has played better by my estimation. I believe the data supports that as well. I do think, however, that the best possible version of this team has Trey Pulliam getting probably in the 12 to 16 minutes range just as a guy who can come in and spell either either KJ or Malachi. And ideally, if he can get his feel back, he can just run the second unit all by himself. You throw in Trey and 
and uh, Seiko out there, and you can give both KJ and Malachi a, a break at the same time. But at least giving one of them a break at a time, that 12 to 16 minutes, you know, that's six to eight minutes a half. It's not a lot of time, but I think the best version of this team has Trey Pulliam doing that. It just depends on if he can start uh, performing at the level that he's capable of. And a lot of it will be this decision-making and the things that I brought up earlier. With that, I should have pulled up a roster so that I can look at it. But with that, we got, uh, who's next? We got Agueca Rope, who is injured. I haven't heard anything specific about his injury. Other than that, I believe on Sunday there was an MRI done, but I haven't heard anything about the results of that. I think uh, Mark Ziegler just put out an article about the Aztecs being in the top 25. Oh, yeah, they're in the top 25 now. That's cool. Uh, Ziegler just put out an article and he may have mentioned something about a rope in the article. I haven't read it yet. I just have it saved to read it later, but a rope has been solid, especially after coming off of an injury. I've really liked what I've seen of him. His offensive rebounding percentage is, is really good. It's the best on the team. And so that's encouraging. And I think he's just fitting in his role well. I think he's taken a couple three-pointers this year, and I would probably rather him not do that. But overall, I've been I've been fine with what I've seen from a rope, especially uh, when you think about how he's coming back from injury. And so his development was definitely stunted over the offseason. But he's come in. He's played some very solid basketball. He hasn't done anything that made me – want to pull my hair out. And sometimes that's all you can ask about from a role player. It's not, you know, which role player is going to make the best plays. It's which one is going to make the least mistakes a lot of time with these role players off the bench. And I think Agueca Rope has done a really good job of that. Adam Seiko mentioned earlier, he's been really good. I think he's been earning the more minutes he's been given lately. His defense has been solid. He very well could be the best perimeter defender. I would, I would need to dive deeper into the tape to see that for sure, but he's been solid and his shooting. That was the one thing I was worried about over the off season was whether his shooting would carry over. Cause he shot a good percentage last year, but it was on a small sample size. And to be fair, this year is also on a small sample size, but the shooting has, has been there. He's been shooting at a high percentage. I'm going to try and look it up here real quick. On Ken Palm, he has, he's shooting 50%, 8 of 16 from deep. So that's really encouraging. It's not sustainable at that level. But from a guy like him, you want that 35 to 36 range of shooting. And he's well above that. And it wouldn't be out of the question to see him stay up at 40, which would be even better, obviously, than 35 or 36. A couple guys left here. Joel Mensa. he might be one of the disappointments in terms of expectations, and that's not to say he's been bad necessarily. I think he's been solid on offense, 
he's a big guy who you can throw in there if you need to score a couple points. And if Yanni or Nathan needs a breather, then you can throw him in. His defense I've been a little disappointed with. It's just not – it hasn't been great. And it's a lot of footwork and technique things, I think. It it could be some of you know reading what the offense is doing as well. But the stuff that has stood out to me has been his footwork, things like when he's uh, closing out on somebody, his feet, his front foot will sometimes get way out in front of his back foot, which makes it hard to balance, first off, because your feet are too far apart. And uh, second off, the the offensive player will then just attack that front foot. And so now you're, if, if your left foot is your front foot, say, your hips are kind of facing towards your right, and the offensive player will go towards your left. So now you have to turn all the way around either way. Whether you turn to your right or your left, you have to turn all the way around to be able to keep up with that player. And it it makes it really hard to play good defense. And that was something I noticed with Joel a couple times. So it's, it's mostly just technique stuff as far as I can tell that he needs to work on on defense, but his offense has been solid enough that he can keep earning, you know, three to five minutes a game. If that's what the coaches decide to do, we got Keisha Johnson who has been fine. I think is, is the way I would say it. He hasn't gotten a lot of minutes, and that's okay. He does still kind of look like he's a little bit lost out there sometimes and that he's used to maybe being able to make up any mistakes with his athleticism. And here at the Division One level, everybody's as athletic as he is. Not as athletic, but they're a lot more athletic than they were at the high school level, so it's a lot harder to do that. I'm not worried about Keyshaw though. He'll continue to get better. And we saw last season with all the freshmen that were there, how they were able to improve over the course of the season. And if we see something similar from Keyshaw, he's going to be a good player towards the end of the season, towards March and coming into next season, especially he can, he can maybe have a breakout year. I don't have any updates on Nolan Narain. That could be in the Mark Ziegler article as well, but I doubt it. He's just stopped talking about him. Uh, Dutch did make a comment in his post-game conference about how deep the Aztec big man were. And he was talking about Nathan went to the bench with two fouls like six seconds into the San Jose State game. And Dutch said, you know, they have Yanni who can play the center. They have Joel who can play the center. And he mentioned... Nolan Narain. And so that made me wonder if like it was, if it was an emergency situation, like another guy got injured or something like that, would Nolan have played? There's no way for me to know for sure, but it's just a matter of is Nolan at a point where he's healthy enough to play and the coaches just aren't playing him because the other guys have looked better is he at a point where maybe he's healthy enough to play in an emergency, but they'd prefer to give him some more time before playing him? Or is he just still not healthy with his, I think it was a groin issue. Nolan is a guy who I think 
you need to be able to throw out there for this team to be as good as it can be. It doesn't mean you throw them out there every game, and it will largely depend on the version of Nolan we got because sophomore year Nolan was really good, at least at the couple things he was asked to do. And that's all you need. Once again, he's he's a role player, and so if he just doesn't make any really big mistakes and he's a guy who can come in and hit a couple putbacks every game – and set good screens and roll to the basket hard. That's all you need him to do. It's it, it doesn't have to be a huge a huge thing. And so it would help to have that depth back there whether it's for foul trouble or playing in elevation and you want to throw another guy out there. Whatever the case may be, the Aztecs have an abundance of riches by having six guys that are or not six guys four guys that are 6'10", and it's it's. I'm a little bit sad that Nolan hasn't been able to play yet. And if it's because of injury, then it happens, right? That's nobody's fault. But that comment from Dutcher made me wonder how close he is to being ready or if he's already ready and just isn't playing because of something else, not looking good in practice, not looking good last season, whatever the case may be. Anyways, with all that being said, the Aztecs are 10 and 0. We're in a good spot. They're ranked number 25 in the AP poll. They don't play this week, so they're not going to lose this week. I don't know if they'll be still ranked next week. It wouldn't be that hard to imagine another team jumping over them. Especially Utah State, who's only 19 points behind at the 26 spot it wouldn't be that hard to imagine that so it's it's possible that they fall out of the top 25 next week it's also possible that a team or two loses and the Aztecs jump up just by matter of attrition either way it's a good time to be to be an Aztec fan for sure I believe That is all I have with this one, Aztec fans. As always, thank you so much for listening. Be sure to uh, send in those voice messages, send in those those DMs, those replies, whatever it may be. Shout out to the Day Ones, Crazy Waffles, and Joe Fry for giving me five-star reviews on iTunes. If you guys can find the time to do that, that would be awesome too. And I will catch you next time, Aztec fans.